G'day. Welcome to SEO Success Stories. My name is Russ McCumber, and every two weeks we talk search engine optimization with the world's leading SEO practitioners. We interview a mix of in-house SEO leads from the world's biggest brands and SEO thought leaders, many from leading search technology brands, plus the world's foremost SEO educators. They'll all be lifting the hood on their own SEO journey, as well as sharing the tips and tricks behind how the best and brightest minds in SEO go about their trade of dominating the SERP. SEO nerds, this one's for you. G'day and welcome to SEO Success Stories. My name's Russ McCumber. I've got Gabe Grossman with me, my co-host. G'day, Gabe. How are you? Yeah, really well, Russ. Pretty excited about our guest today. Excellent. So am I. So we've got Eli Swartz, author of the, the book, Product-Led SEO. He's going to be giving us a bit of a rundown on his career, on the book, and some concepts within the book. So really excited. Eli, before we get into yourself and a bit more history, I'm going to ask the one question I ask every SEO that comes on this podcast. Talk to me. What is the number one challenge facing SEOs in 2022? Hey guys, it's great to be here today with you. So I, I love that question. I was thinking about that. Actually, I think about it four or five times a day. Every time I have a meeting with a client, I'm, the, I'm yeah. a, a growth advisor and I'm a consultant. So I work with a number of companies getting things done. I, I've been, you know, in doing SEO probably now 15, 16 years. We are advisors. We are not doers. There are a few of us that can program. There are a few of us that can write content, but ultimately we're coming up with strategies and plans and we can't get things done. And I'd say like, whether you're in-house or a uh, consultant or a blogger, anything you are making things happen. You would need people around you. And I think the biggest challenge is always, you've got a great plan. How do you get it, that plan to happen in a reasonable amount of time? And like, you know, I've been with companies where that reasonable amount of time is like two years and you just feel mm. so relieved. You're like, I cannot believe it actually finally happened. And I've been with companies like there's a, a story I put at the end of my book this is a company for 12 months and they're like, you know, we really don't think SEO is a fit for us and it's not going to work out. And in my head, I'm just like, cause you didn't ship a damn thing, right? They didn't do anything. Actually they did. They paid my invoice on time every month. Right. But other than that, they did nothing. So SEO of yeah. course didn't work for them, but uh, you know, that I think is the biggest challenge, getting things done, making things happen. Cool. Okay. Thanks, Eli. We're really excited to get into this conversation with you. Now, you've got a book out, Product-Led SEO. We'll dig into that in a little bit. I love the uh, the whole concept of combining traffic and revenue and, and really about going beyond what you know the bots want and looking to the users. But if we could just take a step back, you mentioned in your little uh, intro there that you've been doing this for about 15 years. So I'd love to find out a bit more about your experience you know, what it was that, that led you to, to becoming an SEO? Because as we say every episode, there's not many people that come out of school and go, oh, I can't wait to, to rank websites. So can you talk to us about what was your first kind of foray into SEO? So I, I, I moved out to Silicon Valley. I was originally from the East Coast and I moved out to Silicon Valley and I, I got, I took the first job that was offered to me. It was right after the dot-com bubble burst and everyone was kind of like, it, there weren't a lot of jobs to be had. So the first job I took was at a company that connected people looking for a service with people that knew how to drive traffic. So it was a lead generation company. And my job was, was working with affiliates who knew how to drive traffic and take that traffic and turn it into leads. And then we'd go on and, and sell it to the service providers. A uh, couple claims to fame there. One is I, they, I had a personal affiliate who had a mortgage lead gen site 
and he pivoted away from mortgage lead gen and he, he turned it into credit karma. So the CEO of credit karma was my mortgage affiliate driving. Really? Leads. Really? Yeah. So I had wow. some other interesting affiliates, but yeah, you know, he had yeah. a, a site, the easy loan site.com, just a regular old get a mortgage quote. And he's like, well, there's gotta be a better way to do this. And that, that became credit karma. Still have wow. his cell phone number. I, I don't think he'd remember me because <laughs> I, I, I become famous of a billion dollar company like he did. But yeah. so that, that was my role. So I worked with people like that guy. His name is Ken Lin, and they were able to drive a ton of traffic off of SEO. So I had one affiliate. He had a website and he put dashes between every single letter. So it was like mortgage loans today with a dash in between every letter. No one typed that in naturally. And yeah. he was driving all that. He was ranking on, on search. And I, I was decently good at sales and, and reaching the numbers that I had to reach from an affiliate standpoint. So then I would just like call my at like, you know, the 10th or 15th of every month once I'd hit my numbers and I didn't want to go over my numbers, I'd call my affiliates and we'd just chat and I'd be like, you'll teach me how you do SEO. That's and cool. you know, they shared seobook.com with me, the SEO book from Aaron Wall. They, uh, they gave me all their tips. They taught me at link, about link building. They taught me about writing content. They taught me about freelancing. Obviously, Upwork didn't exist at the time. So that's how I sort of got into SEO. So then I made my first website. And I didn't know about Google, Google Analytics. So I was actually looking at the log files. And at the time, we were able to see the keywords people searched directly from Google. And I was like, what the hell is wrong with people? Like the craziest words they were typing in. And my <laughs> content was coming up. You know, I actually started my first blog post was on mesothelioma, the, the asbestos cancer, because I wanted to have AdSense show up on that. And none of that worked out, of course. But like, I became so curious at the, like, the how search worked. And then I went to try and get SEO jobs. And I started applying for SEO jobs. And I, you know, I was fortunate. And then I got hired at a company where they made me like, assistant to the system of the seo and the uh the uh, the the primary seo person left and and they're like would you you think this is something you want to do and i'm like of course that's why i was assistant to the assistant and you know i was off and running from there but like ultimately my whole thing was like i was always curious about people and like what made people search things and how did websites show up and i had an equal curiosity about the search and people side of it than i did about the algo part of it so that's how I got into SEO. And I, I can tell you like the first time I actually, it was when I, I saw the first affiliate check. I was like, here, you give this guy $50,000. He sits in his basement and he has a website with dashes in between all the letters. And, and that that's what, that's how he earns money. So I was hooked. So long story short, you're in it for the money from the start. Other people, other people's money. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's so cool. So what sort of years is that? Like, what are we talking about? Was that sort of, you said sort of post.com boom, and then you've moved, transitioned out of sales and into SEO. I'm trying to get a, a sense of like, are we talking mid 2000s or? Yeah, 2006. 2006. Okay, yeah. cool, cool. So can you tell us a little bit more about like some of the types of businesses, some of the types of sites that you were that you were ranking back then? Like, was there a, a common thread across them or was it just just sites that needed traffic? Yeah, so so the company I was working with and this uh, my assigned vertical was uh, mortgages and credit cards. So like really like kind of the the dirtiest part of the internet. So I got to learn a lot about that. Home services like people looking for windows. So you know there was no easy way to do that if you weren't going to be creative around your SEO. So I you know and then I started building my own websites and you know spamming my own links and that was very effective. And there were all sorts of spam tools that worked back then. And yeah. Uh, you know, WordPress plugin called caffeinated content is just disgusting. You know, what did that create, do? 
Oh, you put in keywords and then it wrote blog posts for it. it's so funny because like all this stuff is back again today. It's like, oh, yeah. AI content, like caffeinated content was basically like if AI written content was like the clean version of like, oh, I'm sitting there and I'm studying and I'm writing out good content algorithms, like caffeinated content was like the meth head version of like AI written <laughs> content where you give it like 10 different keywords and like it spits out content and Google, like it ranked like, you know, like yeah. I never really went beyond like driving a lot of AdSense money off of it, but it was fascinating. Actually, my biggest success, accidental success uh, in that was in in 2008 during the election, you know, when, when Obama was running against McCain. So McCain chose Sarah Palin as his running mate for vice president. And no one saw that coming. Right. So like there was yeah. like the short list and it's like it's all these people. And no one, no one knew Sarah Palin existed, even though she was governor of, of Alaska. So yeah. She, yeah, so they make this big announcement. I'm in California. It's so like announcement is like 830 in the morning, California time. And everyone else is like, well, this is huge political news. And I'm like, well, what sort of domains does Sarah Palin not have? So, <laughs> so I bought sarahpal.in. Yep. a couple other Sarah Palin. I still own it. If anybody wants to buy it off me, I, I don't think her career is <laughs> coming back. So you can have it. And I was able to rank that. So for a, a while, I ranked a number four for contact Sarah Palin. And let wow. me tell you, when she said she was getting death threats, people that didn't know that they weren't emailing her emailed me. Holy crap. That was horrific content coming through. Really? So all oh, people were like, they wanted to kill her. They wanted to kill her whole family. And I'm like reading oh. this stuff. So. Yeah, and and that site was up until uh, somebody actually. What happened on the? <laughs> sorry, what was happening on that site is I had a feed of contents. So anytime someone wrote something about Sarah Palin, it, it fed in and and yeah, know, content content went on that site. And then someone didn't appreciate that, and they sent me a cease and desist. And they also told Sarah Palin about the site, so I got a cease <laughs> and desist from Sarah Palin. And yeah. the cease and desist was like, get rid of this website. You're never allowed to have it but call this number if you want to talk. And I'm like, did you guys want to buy this website off of me? And they never got back to me, but I did talk to her lawyer and try to sell Sarah Pale on the website. So I still own it. So sarahpale.in, I haven't looked at it in a long time. So if it's ugly, don't judge me. So did you cease and desist or, or not? Did you just keep I did it? Not, I did not cease and desist. I deserved the cease and desist. I mean, I made it look like <laughs> it was her website and like all the articles were written by Sarah Palin and all that. Like if you're trying to make AdSense money, you can't say this is like a not Sarah Palin's website. How funny. That's, that's hilarious. That's outstanding. I love that story. Yeah. So you've obviously worked across a bunch of different verticals and you've you've gone through a bunch of different algorithm changes, different eras and the like. Like at what point do you go, you know what? I'm going to write a book on something which is basically a moving target. Like how long was this idea in your head and did it start with product lead SEO or you know, I'm, I'm just curious, like what, what sort of, what were the germinating seeds? So it started with, I, I came up with this idea. Actually, I'm coming up on a, a big anniversary in two days, which is February 24th, 2010 is the day yeah. I stopped being, I was never a black hat SEO, but a gray hat SEO. So yeah. I don't know if you guys, do you know what that date is? February 24th? Well, what is that date? February 24th, 2010. Panda. Panda. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I know we're going to talk about algo updates later, but yeah, yeah. Panda came out on February 24th, 2010. I was, uh, my boss at the time, he, he Googled, he spent like hours a day just searching. I worked for an automotive site and he just like searched stuff. And he was always paranoid that like there would be a Google update and February 24th, he was at a funeral. And as usual, he was Googling stuff on his phone and like checking on our rankings. And he starts sending me text messages saying like, I, you know, we're, we're not ranking for Chevy Camaro anymore. And we were, we did really well. We had great ranking hmm. and, you know, we were kind of spammy with our backlinks and all that. 
and we'll venture funded startup and he'd say we're not ranking and he's sending me text messages and i'm like ah he's just he's just being him and i'm but uh, you know after the 10th message i was like let me let me check this out maybe maybe it's not his phone and i was like so then i i used a ranking tool i think it was called yeah. rank tracker then, and it was we went from like you know all these things in the top five and suddenly yeah. they were yeah. like page 50 it's like okay yeah. something's yeah. going on here so that's when I, I really changed my approach towards SEO. So at the time, it was really spamming backlinks, had a huge budget on buying backlinks, and we wrote thin content, and we syndicated content, duplicated content. And you know yeah. that, that is when I started pivoting to, like, there's rules here, and the, the point of the algorithms are really to build, to be, you know, a great, a good, a great experience for users. Yeah. And that was, like, that was the early, early seeds of product-led SEO, that it's not about, like, how do you find a loophole in the algorithm, but how do you build something that's beneficial for users and a canonical and like all these things are tools to really help Google make something great for users and not to like, you know, create technical SEO and, uh, you, you know, get around the algorithm and to, to find loopholes and, and, you know, places where you can benefit. But fast forward, you know, I guess now fast forward 10 years and when I really start or nine years when I really started working on the book. So I had this approach to SEO, which was focused on users. And I was working on, at SurveyMonkey and I was consulting on the side. And, you know, all the companies I would talk to, they would say, well, we really want to rank for like, you know, ABC keyword. And I'd say, what's the point of ABC keyword? You're really you're not going to generate any sales from it. Let's think about the user and how do you build a product around it? And they would say, well, how can I read more about this? And this is this is an interesting approach and not something we typically hear. So I started thinking like, well, maybe I'll have a book because that way when I have these conversations, I can point them towards a book. And the second reason I really wanted to write a book is because I had these different ideas and approaches to SEO. And there was no real guide on, on strategic approach to SEO. There's some amazing books out there on SEO. Like, you know, I, like I mentioned earlier, like Aaron Wall's SEO book. Really want to understand like algorithms and keywords. Aaron Wall's SEO book's fantastic. I haven't read it in a while, but, you know, I read it 16 years ago and learned a lot. SEO for Dummies from Bruce Clay. Really learned a lot about SEO. Uh, there's the great book from Stefan Spencer, which is is massive, right? But that's textbook. That really, like those kinds of things become obsolete fairly quickly. But no one wrote the strategic approach to SEO. Like what is what is Google trying to do and how do you think about this? And, and not a book that becomes obsolete very quickly. So that's why I started writing this book. It's like I want to have something to point to and something to share when I talk to potential clients. And I also felt like a book like this should exist. Never had any intention of it selling more than 100 copies. So it wasn't like I want to write a book and be, have this bestseller. It's just like I want to put my thoughts kind of in some pages and then it, yeah. it started going, started getting longer and it became a book. And I would say it's like, you know, for anybody that's a blogger trying to turn blog posts into a book, it's like a, a real challenge. You know, yeah. these you take thoughts and then you want to edit it and have a cohesive idea. It's like, make sure you're not contradicting yourself, making sure your thoughts grow. Like that's when I was like, this is, this is something different. This needs to live for the ages and not just some blog post that like people look at and read a couple of times and then it's aged and no longer evergreen, even if you meant for it to be evergreen. So that's that's like the early germination of the book idea. That's really interesting because if you think about, because I mentioned then, you know, it, it seems, seems weird to write a book about what is essentially a moving target. But what you identified 10 years ago, probably a few years ahead of a lot of SEOs, is that Google is looking to provide users with the best results, the best experience. So if we think about what Google wants, users, that's not going to change, you'd think, over time. So... Sure, there might be different tactics and there might be little granular things inside that. But as long as you have that mindset early on, the book should be able to stay pretty relevant for a long time. Yeah. And, and I was having a conversation with this, like with a client this morning. 
So everyone's familiar with MUM, right? So Google announced MUM last year. I forget what it even stands for, but it's an idea of like having multimedia within search results. So everyone's familiar yeah. with it and they started freaking out a little bit about it, even though I don't think it's as algorithmic as they think it is. So you read a blog post about MUM from last year, Google announced it at Google I.O. So I'm talking to this client during the education space. And I said, mom actually applies because they're providing a value to students who are studying the topic that they produce content on. And there are some students that are going to be searching and voice search applies too. And I don't think voice search applies to a lot of industries, but voice search is mm. I'm doing something and I'd like to cheat on my homework. I'd like to cheat on a quiz. And I'm going to tell my assistant because my computer's disabled because like you lock down on the quiz, but I'm going to speak to my phone and I'm going to speak to my Google assistant. I'm going to get the answer to it. So if this company doesn't start providing multimedia responses, both in images and video and text, they're not aligned with the future. So that's what I, when I think about SEO is like, don't, this stuff does not apply in 2022. I really don't think we're going to see very much of mom across all industries in 2022, maybe Mm -hmm. 2023, maybe 2024. And then there's another thing. And I just dropped a poll on this on Twitter. They weren't aware of Google Lens. And I love Google Lens. Like Google Lens is, I have an Android phone. It's built into the phone. And I think like that's the future too. Search in the future is not just about words and maybe voice. It's about image search and optical character recognition. Again, 2022 kind of silly, but 2025 lens is going to be everything. So if you want to really think like where Google's going and where search is going, Think about where technology is going and where the, where like how people are behaving. Same goes with all the voice, like the voice assistants. You know, there's all the data about like how much money Amazon is using on Alexa, losing on Alexa. And by the way, like I don't think of SEO as just Google. And I write this in the book, like SEO is all search engines. Basic search is all the same. So Amazon is a competitor to Google. When you think about in that context, maybe not 2022, but 2025 Facebook, let's see where Facebook goes with search. Like all of these platforms that people use all day, they are search. Could TikTok build search? They don't have it now, but we have to think about TikTok. How do you do SEO on TikTok? Probably similar to Google, but will they capture market share from Google? Again, 2025, that's a possibility. So when you think about all the money that these companies spend on voice, I don't think it's a fad, right? You've got to think about how do you do SEO around it and not just, well, no one does voice today. I'm just going to ignore this. Yeah, interesting. I'm curious, a couple of topics you've spoken about and I've kind of read about, you know, the whole blue ocean versus red ocean, right? And even just as we're speaking now, when you're talking about search engines beyond Google, my head's already starting to get a bit more in that blue ocean direction, how that's possible. But I'm curious, like how realistic is this, do you think, for, for all products or for, for all verticals? Or is this something which, you know, is, is maybe SaaS specific or a particular vertical specific? Oh, absolutely not SaaS specific. I mean, I'm not even a fan of most SaaS tools doing SEO because yep. I, I think like it depends on the tool, obviously, but like for a SaaS tool that's expensive, I don't know that you can really prove the value of like how search started that journey. And I, I think of SEO as a buyer's journey. It fits in it, right? It's either the beginning or the middle, but it's got to be a part of a buyer's journey. And if it's not a part of a buyer's journey, I don't think you should invest in SEO. Don't put any significant money in it because it's, it's a channel. And if it's not a viable channel, then ignore it, almost ignore it. But when I think about blue oceans and red oceans, if you're in a red ocean, if all you are is in a red ocean, and, and for the listeners and watchers who aren't familiar with this concept, it's a, uh, an academic book called Blue Ocean Strategies, where they, they talk about how there's a, a red ocean is a place where it's highly competitive and you have to differentiate mostly based on price or mild feature services. Blue ocean is you get to own the entire space. No one is doing what you're doing and you're providing value to users. So in my book, I talk about Zillow as a blue ocean. 
within the uh, home valuation space, they really own, they created that space and they still own it today. Like if you search for anybody's address, it's Zillow is showing up. So that's blue ocean. I think in every single vertical, you have to have a blue ocean. Otherwise you're chasing competitors. You're chasing keywords. If you're not differentiating for users, then how are you going to, how are you going to generate search traffic? If you're not the first one in the market, like, you know, as an example that I, you know, I use all the time, I was helping a friend out who had a startup in the insurance space and they had a, they recruit, they wanted to do SEO. And I, I pointed out that just because they wanted to do SEO doesn't mean that Geico was going to step aside and progressive was going to step aside them yep. state farm. Yep. Like, you know, they are, there's a lot of other insurance websites that aren't even the insurers themselves. So now they come to the market, they raise tens of millions of dollars. They don't get to own SEO just because they raise tens of millions of dollars. You know, Geico is a public company and all that. But then I talked to them about their business and they pointed out they had a very specific demographic that they were successful in selling to. I think it was like DWIs, like people had DWIs in the past, they could get them better insurance where uh, other insurance quote products and other insurance providers couldn't really find those quotes. So I said, why wouldn't you build your SEO around that? Why are you going to go after insurance as a keyword and car insurance as a keyword, which is hyper competitive? The blue ocean is what their business does to begin with build SEO around what the business does to begin with. And if they, they can't find a blue ocean and all they're doing is competing, then, you know, I don't think SEO is viable. Like why would they pour a ton of money into ranking on insurance and hope that like, you know, Geico forgot to renew their domain and they they dropped off of, of, of Google. <laughs> and do you think that's a good example of like making a strategic choice with your SEO rather than the tactical choice? Like obviously. I, yeah. I think SEO, SEO is only strategic. You've got to approach this from a strategic standpoint, from a tactical standpoint, the tactics are always the same between companies have yep. put your keywords yep. in your title tag. It's the strategy. It's like, what am I going after? Who is the user I'm going after? That's where it's different. And it's not that you're creating a different SEO strategy for different businesses. Your SEO strategy is wrapped around and married to your general marketing strategy. The way you go to market with your product to begin with is the way you should go to market with your SEO. Not that like, I'm going to go and I'm going to, you know, let's say specific demographic with insurance company, they're going on Facebook and they're advertising. I don't know if this is even legal and if they do this, but like they're advertising to people who had DWIs in the past. They're not advertising to all car owners and all drivers. So why would their marketing for SEO be suddenly I'm going to market to all car owners and car drivers? If what they're successful on other channels works, then do that in SEO too. In, In your book, I think you touched a little bit on forecasting, which is an area that both of us are really interested to understand a bit more in terms of how you forecast, especially with an SEO where there's so many unknowns, there's so many variables, there's essentially a lot of guesswork involved. So uh, we've heard you say that product marketers are fuzzy humans to estimate, uh, TAM, so SEO should do the same. How much, first of all, can you introduce this concept a little bit more to the audience? And also how much pushback have you had on this concept? I've never had pushback. I'd say there's more pushback when you start getting too analytical about forecasting the way most SEOs do. Because the way most SEOs do forecasting is a bottoms up approach. They take all the keywords in the space and they add up the search volume for each of the keywords. And then they they put some sort of you know number on it and be like, well, I'm, I'm wrong by a third. So I'm going to multiply by three or I'm, all, I'm wrong by a tenth. So I'm going to multiply by 10. And then they, they come up with some sort of CTR based on, I, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not greedy. I'm not going to rank number one. I'm going to rank number seven. So my CTR is going to be 4%. And based on that, uh, and across the board, 4% of this big number, that's the clicks I'm going to get here. 
And then I'm going to multiply some conversion rate on that. So now you go into like, let's say a CEO meeting with this real analytical approach. Then the CEO says, well, what if you rank position eight? What if you rank position six? And like, who said that you're going to have a 4% click-through rate? They start attacking those numbers. And then the, that's the problem when you get too specific, you're going bottoms up. They're more, they're, it's not accurate. I've done those forecasts before. I've never seen them nail it. They always miss by the same you know, margin that any other forecast is going to miss. You say, I'm going to get 10 million visits and you get 50 million. You say, I'm going to get 10 million and you get two visits, right? There's, they're never, ever accurate. So going in with this analytical approach, you leave yourself open to massive misses and massive questions. Now, the other way and the way I advocate is a TAM-based approach, which is the way anybody is going to do product forecasting is going to do. So say you're Zill- actually, let's go with the car insurance, right? We're just talking about car insurance. Yeah. So car insurance, they're focused on DWI people. I don't know how many people have DWIs in the past, but let, let's say there's 200 million drivers in America and 2 million people have DWIs. That's the TAM, right? So there are 2 million people. If they got 100% of that, that would be how many people do it. So now you say of the 2 million people, here's how many people use search. All right. Now we're down to a million. So a million would be my maximum amount of people that are going to search ever for a car insurance. Now, what percentage of a million are going to switch insurance every year? 10%, let's say. So now there's 100,000 people that I'm going to potentially go after with all of my efforts, right? That's that's forget all the keywords. There's 100,000 people that could potentially be my customer. So of that, I can set a goal of, I'd like to get 30,000 clicks. That sounds more realistic. I'm going after a third of the potential total market. Now, is that accurate? No, like maybe more people end up with DWIs. Maybe more people decide to switch insurance. Like a lot of things could happen, but I, I'd say it's a more, so when you're open yourself up to, to the CEO asking questions and say, why'd you choose a third? And you say, you know what? Fair, I'll drop it down to 20%. But your numbers are, are already fuzzier to begin with and you're coming up with a different kind of model. And now mm-hmm. from a TAM perspective, the people building the product are doing the exact same thing. So now you're aligned and you're not, your concept isn't as foreign to everyone. The person that built that product to begin with understood how many DWI people there are that could potentially be buyers of it. All you're saying, here's how many people are gonna come through my channel. I think that's interesting, like just in regards to, well, firstly, you're aligning with your product team. So that's got to be a win. They've already come up with that number. But secondly, if you think about forecasting in so many other areas of business, like right now for Impressive USA, I'm going through a process of sales forecasting. If I hire on X amount of reps and they convert this, 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 they're all numbers that are based on my experience and based on quotas that we set and all that sort of thing. But they're just, they're educated guesses, I guess. You know, pretty, pretty I, I'd, I'd like to think they're pretty well-educated guesses, but they are. And then- like I think about the coin Coinbase, that ad that they ran during the Super Bowl and people taking it apart, which I loved it. I went straight up to the tally and, and did the QR code. And, and there were some PR agencies who were trying to put a number on it. They were like, well, you had this many people through to the site and, you know, an average of this many people would actually register, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, they get this much per customer. So here's the value of that. So you've got all these other different areas of business that use those educated assumptions to make forecasts. But in SEO, we've we've sort of gone, okay, well, let's get super granular and kind of we're painting ourselves into a corner, I guess is the thing. And no one else is doing it. Exactly. And I'd say, here's a better way of doing this. If you want to be not granular and you want to be realistic and try to get money for your SEO efforts. So say you uh, take on a new consulting gig or you get a new job at a company and they generate a billion dollars a year in revenue. 
And you can say that again, a billion dollars a year in revenue and you start looking at the channels and say, well, 50% of it's direct because we're a huge business. There's only 50% left of this billion dollars that I need to care about. And you say, well, I think it's realistic to say 20%. So 20% of the total of a billion dollars could come from SEO. That's a realistic estimate. So now we're talking about $200 million and that is the value of SEO channel. So when you go and say, I need another employee on my team, I need um, content people, I need budget. You're talking about $200 million. It's just totally realistic or you take it down. It's only 10%. But when you start this bottoms up of like, well, the rest of the business drives a billion dollars, but let me try to figure out how many clicks I'm going to get through. And I'm looking at, you know, my keywords, you're getting lost, right? You're not going to, you're not going to get to $200 million. It's impossible to get there. So I'd say this bottoms up approach, this top down approach is like, here's the annual revenue. Here's how much I can expect to get from SEO. Your numbers are always going to be bigger. And I find that they get closer to being accurate. Yes, they're pie in the sky. Yes, they're fuzzy, but they get closer to being accurate rather than when you're just, you know, you have this spreadsheet and you're like, well, I never count on that keyword. There was a, so many searches or this keyword disappeared and we never ended up ranking for it. And we ranked, you know, it, it's already, you're already lost because one thing's going to break, one variable breaks that whole model. So just, just on that. So you basically sized up the market opportunity, but what is the kind of the time bound? promise back to the client when you're putting that forecast together and you're saying well, the market opportunity might be 200 million and maybe I think I can get 10% of that 10% by when so I again uh my book is called product led SEO I'm building products so like if the product shifts and goes after the market I'm targeting it's when the product has reached its plateau so could be two years mm. or could be four years if it takes them two years to build the product so say I'm building that search product for drunken drivers. Like I, when I have achieved penetration, I have achieved my goals. That's, that's when it is like, it's when it's shipped, it's launched and every, like I am visible for all the things I want to be visible for. It's not today. Right. And I'd say like, again, bottoms up. And when you do this whole thing, the other thing, when you're doing the bottoms up is Google normalizes based on months, right? That's not accurate. If you're selling a Valentine's day product, you're no longer going to get any of those queries anymore a week after Valentine's Day. Absolutely. Now, we're going to change tact a little bit with the questions, keep you on your toes. So the next one we wanted to ask you was, is there anyone in your SEO career today like that you've kind of looked up to as a bit of a mentor? Could be somebody that you know personally or just somebody that maybe you've read their book or you've seen some of their content. Is there anyone that you kind of have looked up to? There, I mean, there's so many people. I, I don't want to. I don't get stuck naming names, so I'll stick with like the first person I really looked up to, which is Aaron Wall. Like, I I read his book. I, I think he was one of the first people to really put out content in this space. I don't think I've seen him or talked to him in, in many years, but I love that he like laid it all out there. He's like, here's how I've made a lot of money and generate a lot of traffic, and here's a book on how to do just that. There's no secret here. You know, other than that, like I love participating in conferences when they existed. And learning from like so many different people and the friendships that I, I've built within SEO and to be able to be able to ask people questions. And, you know, now that I'm, a, I'm consulting and don't have a full-time job, I have so many people that I, I just text and say like, how do I deal with this situation? You know, you know, from former managers to colleagues, to people that I, some of them I never even met in real life, just know from social media. It's also, it's great to have a network of people around you, isn't it? Especially if you're kind of a, a solo consultant. Because you are, no one has all the answers in SEO and you are going to, that, that's part of the intrigue and part of the fun of it. Uh, you're always going to be encountering situations that are a little bit unique and different 
and uh, we've all got our, our hypotheses on how to kind of work our way out, but sometimes it's good to bounce ideas off other people and get their perspectives too. Yeah, I'd, I'd say like I have less questions around SEO day to day because I, I think, you know, things are are different for every company, you know, unless there's something like a specific international technical thing. The thing I get p- advice from people most on is like, you know, how do I deal with this kind of question from a client and like, how do I explain it rather than what should I put the canonical on or, or how many links should I put in a sitemap? Right. Well, so, so much of SEO, especially I think when you're a consultant, right, is is the education piece. It's, it's articulating your plan. It's selling in your strategy. It's getting your client on board, getting them to your way of thinking so that basically you can, I guess, motivate them to marshal their resources and to actually put the plan into action, like you said. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, that, I think inter- for anybody that's in-house SEO, these challenges are the exact same. How do you get buy-in? And like, you know, you asked the question to begin with, it's all about shipping. Like, how do you get buy-in? You know, there's clients that I've worked with. I don't understand why they hire me. And I have a story like this in my book. Like mm-hmm. they don't have the resources locked up. So why are they, why are they hiring me to go give, help them develop a plan that they don't have engineers to actually go do. And that, you know, it, it's for anybody out there that is dealing with that kind of situation, way more common than you would think. So, you know, like they, Maybe it's a CEO, maybe it's some other executive who's like, oh, I'd like SEO, I'd like it to happen. So I'm going to go hire an SEO manager in-house or I'm going to go hire a consultant. I'm going to go hire that guy that wrote the book and then they don't realize they have to do a bunch of other stuff. Like, you know, the story I have in my book is where I went to the CEO with a plan and, uh, and you know, I worked on a plan with a CMO and we went to the CEO with a plan and there was no technical resources aligned. They're like, oh, this is a great plan. Would you like me to turn off the, take away engineers from actually supporting our product and go do your fancy SEO plan? Like more common than you might think. This uh, touches on, sorry to jump in, but uh, Tom Critchlow has that whole thing, SEO MBA around the real cost of, of SEO. You know, we try to minimize yep. the cost of it, but you like, when you minimize the cost of it, because you're trying to go, well, you paid media spending millions and SEO, you're only going to spend 10 grand, 20 grand. But you're actually- That was off of my tweet. Was it really? Was that, yeah. was that really? Okay. Sorry, I'm, I'm giving credit to the wrong person. So this guy, this really no, clever no, no, guy, no. He, Eli he, Schwartz. Yeah. I, I put a tweet out there because I thought it was interesting. I, I It was based on a real conversation I'd heard. And then it got all the, went super viral and got like a thousand likes. So he built a blog post around it. Yes. And then I worked with- I worked with him like the, the beginning. It was based on the tweet. Yeah, that was my tweet. I actually read that. It's funny. We've all independently read the same things. I'm, I'm on that same uh, email uh, newsletter. It's a great little newsletter. And he, he, he quoted you, but he said he got your permission to talk about it. And it... Oh, I did say that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, the point being, so if you, if you haven't seen that, Google it. You, it's, it's obviously all over the internet. But all the resources that, that are involved in this, exactly as you say, like, if you're going to do it right, you, you need to have a lot of ducks in a row to make it work. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It, it's really, it's always about selling it, you know, and, and I, I think that most people in SEO are not good at selling it. They're good at doing SEO, but they're not good at selling it, which means from a positive standpoint, there's a ton of opportunity out there because like, you know, I tell this to my clients all the time. They're like, well, our competitors are doing this. And I'm like, what are the odds that your competitors have a decent SEO team that could actually implement all the things we're talking about we're doing right here? Like if you're in e-commerce selling whatever, I'd be scared of Amazon's SEO team. I'd be scared of Wayfair's SEO team. I'm not too scared of Walmart's SEO team. Yeah, great brand, but like from an S, uh, sorry, and I hope I didn't offend anybody at Walmart, <laughs> but like, you know, it, it, and there's great people there, but it, it's hard to get things done. And I, you know, I, I've hired people from Walmart and I've worked with, you know, I know some great people that worked at Walmart. It's hard to get things done there. 
Amazon does a great job at shipping. Wayfair does a great job at shipping. So when you like identify all your e-commerce competitors and say, well, they could do it too. They might not, or they don't have the resources to do what you think they'll do. And the resources just specific to that. This is a common theme we've had in so many conversations, literally just um, from JLL. Jill, oh, I've forgotten that name. Jill from JLL, like last week, was talk, we were talking about just the soft skills, like as the separator. You've got so many great technical SEOs, but the ones that can actually stakeholder management, get people on side, sell what they're doing, sell the wins. We had Gaetano, Gaetano, uh, Gaetano um, in, and he's a great, you know, he's great at being that sort of, you know, internal champion of what SEO is doing for the business and trumpeting that yep. so that you get, you know, how do you get your dev team? How do you get your content team? How do you get these people on side? Share the wins and, you know, have, have a champion in-house and even better if that champion is actually, you know, the SEO or, or within the SEO team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had a thing when I was in-house, Leslie. I always, um, I sent these monthly emails. I think I did weekly and then I put them to monthly because no one was reading them. But I'd send these emails and say all the things we did and I would give credit to all the people and I'd bold their names and I'd reach out to them mm. before me. Like, hey, I'm just letting you know. Like everyone likes when the CEO reads an email or not the CEO reads. The CEO gets an email with their name in it. Nobody knows whether they read it or not. So yeah. they're more likely to help you in, in the next time you ask because they're grateful and they want they know that you're grateful. Great. That takes us to our next question. I'll be interested to get your perspective on this. So First 90 days on a job, typical SEO, what do you think that they should be doing in the first three months to move the needle with a client? Is it, is it talking strategy like you mentioned so much in this podcast already? You know, there's certain tactics that they should be doing. Every business and every vertical might be slightly different, but what do you think are the kind of the main components that should, should kickstart any good SEO program? So the first 90 days, you really have to make an impression. And this is whether you're in-house or whether you're a consultant, you want to make an impression that, the, that you're adding value. So even if it's not a part of my engagement, I'll go and find low-hanging fruit and say, hey, this is something you should probably fix. And there, it isn't always there, right? I, like, I, you know, I, I talk about this all the time. In, you know, I, this is a later realization before I, you know, that's not in my book. But I don't think technical SEO in many cases moves the needle. So changing title tags and doing little things around technical don't necessarily move the needle. If there are opportunities to move the needle, try to move the needle, but I actually wouldn't spend any capital on like, Hey, you know, your title tags are a little bit long here. I think we should shrink them. That's my big win because like 30 days in, they're like, well, you had us doing these title tag things and nothing happened. So hmm. the first 90 days go to find any, any early low hanging fruit you can. But other than that is learn the business learn the product, learn the players. And that way you can wrap things in. Like, you know, I've had a lot of clients where I realized the, they're like, I learned the way that they do things and understand where they're going to be successful. And then it becomes easier to say, Hey, can we just work on this and ship it really quickly rather than like develop a strategy and say, give me 30 days. I'm going to drop the strategy on you. And then it just gets, doesn't get deleted. It just gets shelved. But like, if you partner with the right people and you learn the business and learn the category, it's more likely to ship. But again, I'd say if there's an opportunity, go for those low-hanging fruits. Go for the early wins. That's it. I always pick on alt tags. Like, what are you going to do? Update all your image alt tags over the course of your website. That's not, it's not exactly going to move the needle. It might be technically best practice, but uh, it's not going to be a game changer. So I love that. Duplicate content. That's an easy one. Like, if you can find in Search Console, there's duplicated pages, and you can come up with an approach that could canonicalize or delete pages. I think that's an easy win. Uh, another easy win that everyone should be feel free to steal from me. I, I did this at SurveyMonkey a couple of times, which is take put calls to action on four or four pages. So look how many times four or four pages are viewed, put a call to action on it, and people land on it, some of them are actually going to click through and sign up. They're like, oh, the page I was looking for wasn't here, but 
totally had my credit card in my hand. I was ready to buy this. So. <laughs> I love that. I love that. It's, 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 a, it's a really easy win at Survey Monkey. We were driving um, for a time. It was organic revenue, but 10% of our revenue on one of our products was coming from the 404 page. Wow, that's so cool. Also, we've spoken a little bit about, um, I guess, with the, the key question we started started with at the top of the podcast was, you know, what's the number one biggest challenge that SEOs face in 2022? But if we if we kind of cast our mind a little bit forward, what do you see as being the biggest factors impacting SEO growth, you know, in 2023 and beyond? So it's not a, necessarily a factor that's for the future. It's the reality of today, which is I think that search engines are going to continuously Improve and search engines are inclusive of all things that could be a search engine. I mentioned this earlier, and it's not a search engine today, but TikTok is most one of the most popular websites on the internet, and for now is a popular website. It may still continue to be, so they could build a search engine because they have captured users' attention. So why do not they not also help them find a place to eat or find information and help them do homework or all that? Okay, it's really about mind capturing and Google and AOL did this early on, and they missed this opportunity, of course, which is, was a landing page for the internet. They could have owned search, but they they didn't. They lost it. So anybody that has traffic, whether that's Apple or Facebook or TikTok or Google, could potentially be a search engine. So I, I think that's that's a reality we always have to you know keep in mind. It it will be a slow shift. We're not just going to one day wake up and Apple's going to be our search engine. It's it's going to be like oh I've I've stopped you. like I was talking to someone earlier today. They're like oh I don't think I've logged into Facebook in two years. It's not like one day they decided not to log in. It's just like today they realized they haven't logged in two years. So I'd say from a search engine standpoint, that's what we're going to see. Now, from where search is going and, and what factors are changing, I think on a day-to-day basis, all search engines, inclusive of any, again, whatever is a search engine, is incorporating more AI to have a better experience and to do a better job of, like I referred to this you know, in every conversation on this topic, of being almost like your personal librarian, which is I know who you are. And we all know this, right? You do a search for something like, how do you treat a headache? And then you get an answer and then you type in the word medicine into Google. The immediate search suggestions are going to be medicines for headache. That's Google being your personal librarian, which is, I know that you have a headache because you just told me about it. And therefore I'm going to suggest things around the headache topic. So you search places to go for lunch and then you search like how far is and Google's going to the search suggestion is going to be the places you just looked at, right? You do anything around local, it's always going to suggest the local places. So I think that is that is where Google and search engines will always continue to go, which is improving on the AI to better understand the intent of the user and also to understand the intent of websites and can they match the intent of where the user is? So is it informational query that you're looking for? And these are informational websites. Is it an image you're looking for? And these are image websites. Is it a video, right? So like that's mum in like, you know, one sentence, but I, I think that will be the direction we're going to go. So we're a search in 2023, layer on improved AI. We're a search in 2024, another year of improved AI to be your personal librarian. And it's better than like Google's original mission statement, which was to organize the world's information. It's not just organizing the world's information. It's organizing all of the user's brains to understand their personal results. My, like, you know, my kids are going to see different results for the same queries than I see. And it's not personalization. It's really like they're querying a little bit differently and their past queries are going to suggest different things. So their queries will change. So then what's the, I'm just trying to get my head around. What's the, so what for SEOs? Like, do I mean, like that's coming. That's great. It's getting more intuitive. Is there anything we can do to, to, to take advantage of that, to, to capitalize on where we know it's heading? 
Yeah. So if you think that if you're up to leaving all of your search traffic to chance and Google trying to interpret everything, then yes, you don't need to be an SEO anymore. However, Google is AI. It's just a computer. Yeah. So you need that layer. You, our jobs are changing. So instead of like when I originally started doing SEO, it was around how, am I, how do I stuff as many keywords into a title tag as possible? Or um, how do I duplicate content? Or how do I buy links? Or how do I do all this stuff? Our jobs are changing into a different form. And look at all the, you know, all the changing jobs that have happened over the many years. You know, there used to be travel agents. Travel agents don't exist anymore. Travel agents can become a travel concierge. It just, it becomes a total different experience. I don't need someone to help me book plane tickets. I need someone to help me figure out how to plan an entire vacation and where should I go and what, what trip should I go on? Yeah. That is, that could be a travel agent, but the job has changed. So instead of us being, I am someone that goes out and get, gets links. I now become someone that creates content, which creates an environment for capturing the best links. So that is SEO. It's just a different skill set or a different focus than it used to be. We still are that layer, which helps translate what Google or all search engines are looking for and what websites need to be doing. SEO will always exist as will search always exist. And we're always getting that layer. It's not gonna be computers talking to computers. The job just changes. Just on the topic of technology, um, are there any kind of non-obvious SEO tools or software tools that are your favorites when practicing SEO? So I love using Search Suggest. It's a it's an obvious it's a software tool and is an SEO tool. But like I, I was, you know, whenever I talk to clients and and we're thinking through like how do we build a product and how do we build a page? I just throw it into Google and see what comes up. And if I'm not even finding that product at all, then I don't. Then the, our queries are wrong. If when we want to think about ordering, how do we order URLs? I put it into Google and see if Google reorders it. Like what are the results that come up? So. That's my favorite thing. There are uh, other are tools that you could get ideas around this, like Answer the Public or KeywordTool.io just to see search suggestions. But like they are SEO tools. Um, they are obvious, but I, I think I use those far more than I use other tools. Like you know, when someone says, I'm going to go into um, SEMrush, Ahrefs or any, any keyword tool, I'm going to find out what the most popular keyword is. I say, don't do that. Go to Google, start typing your topic and see what they suggest or you know, see what... Uh, you know, what the related queries are, because that's a different feedback loop. That's a feedback loop coming from actual users rather than what SEMrush, Ahrefs and all those other keyword tools are, which is a feedback loop based on data of queries that people have searched in the past and Google's keyword plan are the same thing. Queries that people searched in the past, which, you know, it becomes a virtuous cycle of like other people search it. So therefore I'm going to put it on my content, but you may be missing the entire thing that people are searching for. And Google recently just said that 15% of, of queries are still brand new. And I think that's so cool. Like I'd rather focus on those brand new queries in the direction that search is going than to do the same thing everyone else is doing based on what people might have searched in the past. And to that point, I think if you go into virtually anyone's search console account and you look at their queries report, you'll see every month heaps of new queries that if you were to plug in those same queries in a Google keyword planner or an Ahrefs or a SEMrush that have zero search volume. So how is it that you're getting all this traffic for all of this search that essentially nobody's searching for, obviously somebody's searching for it, but the tools just haven't captured that popularity yet. Um, and so if you want to be forward thinking rather than backward thinking, think about what people are putting in today or tomorrow and maybe get ahead of the curve, maybe where the competition doesn't already exist 
where it's not as exactly. competitive. Exactly. And and I, I've worked for some companies that had massive brands, like some of the biggest brands in the internet. And I'd say no keyword tool accurately predicted their search volume. If I look at their search volume based on the impressions I saw from search console. So, you know, the estimates were usually wrong by a factor of, you know, let's say a quarter, right? So they're four times the amount of impressions on that sync on their brand than there were in any keyword tool, including Google. So the accuracy like basic and going back to our forecasting, assuming that the tools are correct is already a false assumption. So when you're doing your forecasts, like you don't even know if you're working with accurate data to begin with before you start layering on all your other things. This is such an interesting conversation too, because we do, when we're using like, whether it's SEMRAS or HRS or whatever it is, we talk about, you know, to clients about it. It's an estimation. It's a pretty intelligent estimation, but that's what it is. But, you know, we're talking about how Google itself is getting more intuitive to what people are wanting to search, you know, where their heads are going. You've, you've got like the world's most powerful computer ever right there, Google, to, to use to try to get these answers as opposed to all these other more sort of extracting softwares that are trying to pull historical stuff. So why aren't we using that most incredible machine more often? Yeah, and a solution to all this, of course, is the thing I advocate for all the time and in my book, which is think like a product manager. Create for users hmm. and don't create for search engines. So you, based on what you see from Google, you know what people are looking for. So build something around that and build something around the fact that there's a user base for it and estimate the TAM and estimate who your potential market's going to be. And don't say, well, what am I going to rank on? And like, here's, this is based on my SEMrush score or more, I forget about Moz, right? Here's my Moz difficulty score. So therefore I should do this. Forget all that. There's users here. I provide the best value for those users and I will be found. Yep. Yep. Love it. Gabe, about time for your Vox Pop. My famous Vox Pop where we send you some quick fire questions and we just want the first thing that pops into your head. All right, you ready to go? Yep. Okay. All right, what previous Google algorithm update still keeps you up at night? It's not relevant today, but I, I mentioned earlier Panda. I just, I still get PTSD when I, I think about waking up and seeing 60% of your traffic gone. <laughs> all right, gun to your head. Do you prefer content or links? Content all day. I've gotten links from sites like the White House that I've done nothing. I think most of our guests have said content, Russ. Just I, between I think you it's and me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I might have to rethink that question. <laughs> <laughs> On the topic of links, what's the most effective link building technique you've used? Surveys. So I, I have this in my book. I, I did a sur- I lived in Singapore. I did a survey on people's bathroom habits, spent $500 to get, uh, get people to answer the survey on Facebook. So I had an ad, people answered the survey on Facebook. And then I got so many links from it because everyone wants a link to a funny story or funny data about bathrooms. <laughs> wow, that's cool. Is the skyscraper technique still relevant today? I don't think so. I, I, I think anything that's a technique is not relevant uh, at, you know, at a mass scale. Maybe you can find one thing that works on one site, but I don't think techniques are generally relevant. All right. What do you love the most about SEO? How weird users can be. If you're building for users, really like understanding that it's the user and the users have weird queries and like you think they're going to search one thing when you look in Google Search Console, you see something totally different. This is my favorite Vox Pop question, Russ. How do you apply SEO principles to your daily life? I don't even know what an SEO principle is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd say an SEO principle is, is my, my SEO principle is that users aren't nearly as good at search as we think they are. So in general, I try not to make assumptions that everyone knows the same thing I do. So like I said earlier on Google Lens, like, I would assume that everyone knew what Google Lens is. Google, Google talks about it all the time and they built it into Android and like, they don't, right? Even, even people have Androids don't know what that little funny box is. 
All right, work from home, office life or hybrid life? So I'm going to go with hybrid, but it's hybrid for me, which is work from home, but in a coffee shop. All right, you're living you're living the, your best life, I think, if that's the case. I'm jealous. Yeah. <laughs> All right, SEMrush or Ahrefs? I can't answer that. <laughs> you know, we've asked that question to people from SEMrush and people from Ahrefs, and we'll still throw that question their way. All right, agency, in-house or combo? In-house, however... I don't think most companies are able to hire in-house. And I know we talked about this in the green room before. I love helping people find jobs. I think like there's a massive talent gap between what companies are looking for and the amount of talent there are. And don't do it for any any financial perspective. Like I've never, I don't want to ever get paid for it. I just like people getting the better jobs and improving their lives and careers. I think everyone should hire in-house because I think SEO is a product and you don't have your products built by agencies or external people. But without, if you can't hire in-house, then you work with someone, self-promotion right here in the way I work, which is, you know, as a, as a like embedded part of your team, but that's not an employee. So really helping you build together, but not an agency. I don't focus on deliverables. I, I try to act like I'm an employee. Excellent. Eli, thanks so much. So we've been uh, talking to Eli Schwartz. He's got a uh, book called Product-Led SEO, which you should definitely Google. Pretty easy to find online, is it not, Eli? Is there anywhere specifically you'd like them to buy it? I think Amazon is the easiest place. My audiobook came out two weeks ago. So for people that don't like reading, that's a good way to hear. I didn't read it, but you can hear someone else read my book to you. So the book is Product-Led SEO by Eli Schwartz. You've been listening to SEO Success Stories. We do this every fortnight. We speak to the world's best SEO educators, practitioners, thought leaders, people from big brands. Eli's been doing this a long time. He's had some amazing stories to share. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, get on, write us a review on Apple and on Stitcher and Pocket Cast and Google and wherever you can say nice things about us. Please do that. Say nice things about Eli. He's been a great guest, really open. And any final closing thoughts, Eli? Just a question without notice before we wrap up. No, this is great. I, I love the different directions we went, and, and you know, I love talking about SEO and, and you know, not getting too deep into technical because this is it's such a fascinating job that we have in such a fascinating industry. And you know, if I get there, one other thing out there, which is Meta, Facebook went yeah. through their big yeah. stock drop two weeks ago because of you know they they said there's a change in behavior, and so there's so many people that when they are looking for comments, they go on TV and they ask you know agencies to can you comment on on you know is there a change in advertising behavior when google updates there's no one speaking for us right so there's there's a huge opportunity and like i said earlier like take a billion dollars some huge percentage of that is coming from seo and we matter and there's trillions of dollars i think coming from seo no one calculates it because there's no one speaking for us so uh, if you're an seo you're in the best place ever thanks so much seo success stories tune in again with us uh next time thanks gabe Cheers, guys. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Thanks Eli.